Amen. You may be seated. If you find your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you didn't bring a Bible, we will have the scriptures up on the screen today. If you're a guest, I want to once again welcome you. I, I love Easter. I really think that uh, Easter is probably the greatest time to become a Christ follower, to become a follower of Christ. Uh, some years ago, not a whole, whole, whole lot of years ago, but some years ago, my wife became a follower of Christ on Easter. Uh, this past weekend, I got word that Justine, our, our Joanna Packabush became a Christian uh, this weekend, so we're proud, proud of Joanna. And after the message, uh, Justine Lankford is going to be baptized because she's professing her faith in Jesus Christ, and so there's really no better time in the year to become a Christian than at Easter, and so if you're not a believer yet, then I hope that at the end of the message, we're going to give you an opportunity to become a believer, and I hope that today is the day that you take that step and you become a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, We want to welcome you to Murphy Road. This is really a cool church. I love living life with the people of Murphy Road. We exist to lead people to worship, grow in, and serve God through lives changed by the power of the gospel. And we're a church. Uh, We do radical things around here like we pray, we sing, we look at the scriptures, we worship together, we try to make a difference in our community, try to make a difference in the world. We're, We're not doing a show, and Easter Sunday is not a show for us. There's no free drawings for a car today or anything. I know some of y'all are disappointed. No free car that we're giving away. We didn't rent a helicopter to come drop 10,000 bunnies and eggs on our kids so kids can go home and have nightmares about the day that it rained bunnies from the sky. You know, we, we, didn't, we didn't do that. I, I don't have a shaved head. I don't wear skinny jeans. My ears aren't pierced. I don't have any stories about how I used to be in a gang, but the sweet chariot of the Lord swung low and rescued me. I don't have any of that, but we do have a sincere belief. We have a sincere belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived the life that none of us could ever live, that he died on the cross for your sins and mine, that he rose again, ascended, and he is coming again. That is our sincere belief, and that's why we've gathered here today as a church to celebrate Easter and to worship, because we believe that God taught us that we should celebrate that and that we should share it with others. I was listening to a preacher out of Georgia not long ago named Andy Stanley, and Andy said this statement. He said, it's natural to want to divorce the life and teachings of Jesus from the resurrection of Jesus. You see, Jesus was such an incredible teacher. Some of the most familiar teachings that we have, they came from Jesus. He was a profound thinker. It was Jesus that taught us to love our neighbor. It was Jesus that taught us that God so loved the world, and he's not just a detached deity, but that he desires for us to come to him and call him our father. It was Jesus who said, Do not judge, lest ye be judged. It was Christ that said, He that is without sin, cast the first stone. He was the one that coined the idea that if you abide in truth, the truth will set you free. And people love those teachings of Jesus. We love the fact that he fed the poor. We like how he stood for social justice. We like how he welcomed the children to come to him. And the great stories that Jesus taught. Parables like the prodigal son who had gone astray, and whenever he comes home, the father runs out to 
welcome him. We like the story of the woman at the well, this lady that nobody in society would take in, and she was an outcast in society, but Jesus loves her and reaches out to her and asks her for a drink of water. We love the story of the blind man being healed, and then those cool stories like walking on the water. And a lot of people like the stories of Jesus, but then when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, there's a big hurdle that you have a hard time getting over. I have five nephews and two nieces, and I love being an uncle. Being an uncle is a lot easier than being a dad in a lot of ways because you get to play with the kids, teach them stuff they shouldn't do, spoil them, and then give them back to mom and dad. It's a wonderful thing being an uncle. I'm told that it's quite a bit like like being a grandparent. Any grandparents in the house today? That's exactly what you do, right? Spoil the kid, give them back, and teach them bad habits along the way. You know, it's, it's pretty cool to be, to be a grandparent. I think that's how a lot of people are when it comes to the resurrection. We want Jesus. We like his teachings. We like his morality. We like his spirit. But then whenever it comes to the resurrection, okay, Lash, I'm going to give you that part of Jesus back. You can keep that part. The problem with that is that the resurrection is essential to the Christian message. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 12, here's what the Bible says about the resurrection. It says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, now notice this part. If Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is without foundation. So and so is your faith. So the Bible says if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then what we preach and teach, the message of the gospel, is without a foundation. It has no substance to really support it. He says the faith that you have in God, the faith that you have in Jesus, if Jesus didn't raise, rise from the dead, that faith is without foundation. And that's just the warm-up act of what he's going to say. He continues to say, in addition, we are found to be false witnesses about God. In other words, we're leading people astray about God because we have testified about God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, whoa, your faith is worthless. And you are still in your sins. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, in other words, those that are believers who have died, have also perished. And if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, in other words, if all Christianity is is about morals and ethics to guide you through this life, and there's nothing beyond this life. Eternal life is not in the equation. The resurrection didn't happen. If we only hope in Christ for this life only, Paul says we should be pitied more than anyone. That's strong language, isn't it? If the resurrection didn't happen, Paul, Apostle Paul says Christians should be pitied. My four-year-old and six-year-old recently took up karate. They go up to karate for kids. Hey, Jack, there you are, Master Hornbuckle over there, six-degree black belt. He's their teacher, and so uh, uh, conveniently located, 544 Murphy Road right there. So, uh, you know, 
commercial for you, Jack. Uh, you've been thinking about it. He's here for you today. He'll sign you up. That's all free. But they took up karate here recently, and so around the house, they've been showing me some of their moves. Hey, Dad, look. You know, and the bang. And, and you know, it's really cool. And I'm, I'm watching them, and I'm trying to be the encouraging dad. Wow. Hey, look at you. And my, my favorite one, and they love it, is whenever I say, I'm getting scared. Ooh, you're dangerous. But now, in reality, I have to admit that I'm not being totally honest. Because they're not that scary. They're four and six. And if you've ever met my daughters, they're kind of dainty, too. So, you know, I'm kind of playing the good dad role here. It's really not that big of a deal. But then the other day, I grabbed McKenna's arm. And, like, this Navy SEAL from within comes out. She, like, grabs my hand. I'm like, ah, that kind of hurt, McKenna. She just kind of shrugs her shoulders. We're so busy in this life life these days. You remember the days when we thought that technology would make our life more simple? That you'd have more time to do things because you're connected? Yet life just seems like it gets busier and busier and busier. You got to get up, you got to get the kids to school, you got to help them with their homework, you got to get to job, get to work, you got to make sure the house is taken care of, and you got a bigger house than your grandparents did, so you got more house to take care of, and you got to take care of the yard, and you got to keep up with 1,200 friends on Facebook, and there's this program that you want to watch, and there's this, this extracurricular activity, and this extracurricular activity, and then you're supposed to read books, and you're supposed to exercise, and there's just so many things to keep up with that a lot of us, we have a knowledge of Jesus, but theologically, we're really not that that sophisticated. We kind of have a casual knowledge of Jesus. And for a lot of people, we, we realize things about life. We realize that life needs morals and ethics and that people need to live with integrity. And because of that, we like the teachings of Jesus. And we're smart enough to realize that the universe is so massive and so intricate and life around us is so well designed that it points to the fact that there was intelligence behind the design. So there's something out there. But for a lot of us, when it comes to Christianity, we're kind of like me with my kids' karate moves. We want to be encouraging. We want to say, hey, cool, good for you, amen, here's a dollar. But deep down, we believe that Jesus was a good teacher, and we believe that he was a profound thinker and and a, a revolutionary, but he got in trouble with Rome, he was crucified, and then his followers said, hey, this teaching of Jesus is so significant, it's so powerful, that we can't let it die with him, and so they got in a huddle, and they kind of created the story of the resurrection so that the cross might have a happy ending. And though we don't articulate that, for a lot of people, that's really what we think about Christianity. The problem with that line of thinking is the Bible. Because the Bible says, if the resurrection didn't happen, then we have to change our whole view of heaven. If the resurrection didn't happen, we have to change our whole view of what life is all about and and what life after death is all about. Forget about the streets of gold. Forget about, you know, someone passes away that was a friend of yours or a relative, and you say to yourself, well, they're in a better place now, or I'll see them again one day. And that hope that we have and the fact that we'll see them again one day. The Scriptures teach that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, all of that goes out the window. 
Our understanding of life and life after death and heaven, all of that goes out the window. How are we going to process life and, and, the, and, the, and the eternal realm of life? Maybe we could embrace the Eastern religions' views, the pantheistic religions, that say that basically heaven is just dissolving into a nirvana of nothingness and you become like the universe around you. Or perhaps we could embrace the Muslim view that is kind of male-slanted. It's a paradise where virgins feed you grape for all eternity. Kind of male-slanted. Or maybe we could embrace Bahá'u'lláh. Have you ever heard of that? It's the ancient Norse view of heaven. It's kind of a cool one. Again, a little male-slanted. In their view of heaven, you fight all day, and then you feast all night. Wonderful. Wouldn't that be a cool view of heaven? And you fight all day, and then if you got wounded in the battle, your wounds heal, and then you just feast all night. Or maybe we can embrace the Mormon view of heaven, that uh, if I do really well in this lifetime, then I kind of become uh, E.T., an extraterrestrial, and I get my own planet, and my wife and I get to populate that planet. Or the worst view of them all, the secular view, the agnostic, atheistic view of the afterlife. Basically, there is none. It doesn't exist. It's nihilistic. Life is tough. There's a series of cause and effects, and you, these effects determine who you're going to be, and life is hard. You try to squeeze out a few happy moments throughout life. You try to laugh a little bit, love a few people. At the end, you die, you're gone, that's it. So there's no need to think about the afterlife. Just live in real time because this is all you have. The Bible says if the resurrection didn't happen, then we shouldn't be encouraged today. The Bible says if the resurrection didn't happen, if you're a Christian, you should be pitied. Close this place up. Go ahead and sleep in on Sundays. You can stay in your bed and sleep instead of coming and sleeping while I preach. Go to the lake. You know, eat barbecue. Forget about all the God stuff. If the resurrection didn't happen and you're a Christian, all the prayers you've offered, all the mission trips you've gone on, all the the monies you've given to try to support ministry, the sermons you've endured, the hours you've spent in community service trying to help with the church, trying to help your community, all that stuff you taught your kids when they come up to you with questions, those bedtime prayers, if the resurrection didn't happen, the Scriptures teach that all of that was in vain. And when people look at our lives and look at our faith, we should be pitied. But what if? What if when I grab a hold of the resurrection, what if there's some reality in there? What if the illogical is really the logical? What if Jesus really did die for our sins and then rise from the dead? That's the big question of Easter. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And quickly, I want to give you five reasons why I believe in the resurrection. These five reasons have roots in Scripture, but it's more than just the Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it. Think on this. Reason number one, the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. Now, that's no small feat because the tomb had been heavily guarded. The Roman soldiers were 
guarding the tomb. For the tomb to be empty, somebody had to overcome the Roman soldiers. If you know anything about Roman history, if you overcame a couple of their soldiers, there was like a legion behind them that would hunt you down and find you. The tomb had been sealed by the royal seal of Rome. If that seal is broken, your punishment, if you were caught breaking that seal, your punishment was crucifixion. The thinking behind that was that they would have you so frightened about breaking that seal of Rome that you would not dare do that. If the body were available, if somebody knew where the body was, then the first day that the message started going around Jerusalem that Jesus had risen from the dead, you would think that the person who knew where the body was would say, hold on a second, here's the body. Here's the body, okay? Christianity, it's not real. Here's the body. Josephus, the ancient historian, says they couldn't find the body. And to this day, nobody has ever found the body. You go over to Israel, the tomb is still empty. Something happened there at that tomb. Secondly, there were hundreds of witnesses to the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 5 says he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive. So Paul is writing to the church there at Corinth, and he says, well, Jesus appeared to Peter, and then he appeared to the twelve, and he also appeared to over 500 people. Now, it's one thing to discredit one or two people. You could even try to discredit 12 people. But if you have 500 people that are all saying, we saw Jesus, he's alive. A police officer would tell you, that's a pretty good case. 500 witnesses, that makes a pretty good case. And Paul says many of these people continued to give their testimony for years to come. One of the things that really stands out to me is the third thing, the radical change in the apostles' behavior. When Jesus was arrested there in Gethsemane, the disciples ran for their lives. After the crucifixion, and remember the crucifixion was public, They saw what they did to the man that they had followed. After the crucifixion, the Bible says, the disciples were holed up. They were thinking, we're going to be next. So they were hiding out. Now think about this. The person that you've given up your life to follow has been arrested. He's been crucified publicly. He's dead. You're hiding out. You're worried that you're next. You're in the big city of Jerusalem What's your next step if you think you might be next? You're going to try to get out of the city somehow, go back home, go to a small, quiet area, and live your life peacefully and live your life quietly so that you don't draw attention to yourself. Instead, these 12 men or 11 men that earlier were running for their lives, they were scared to death, instead they become some of the most courageous people the world has ever known. They go out preaching the message of Christ, and they didn't just preach the morals and ethics and tell the stories of Christ, they preached the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they did this all over the known world, and Christianity began to spread like wildfire, and the movement of the church began to take root. Furthermore, those apostles died, and history tells us that they died, most of them died horrendous deaths. Many of them were crucified themselves. Some of them boiled in oil, pulled apart. Okay, there's only so far I'm willing to go with a lie. 
If I've sat over here and, and with a bunch of other guys made up this lie and then we start telling it and, hey, people start believing it and so it starts really taking root, but then they come to me and say, all right, if you don't quit telling this lie, we're going to crucify you. I'm of the mindset that says you can put the hammer and nails and the wood up because I'm not going to die for a lie. There's only so far I'm going to go. And when they start saying, we're going to crucify you, Lash, I'm like, just kidding. Okay, it was a lie. We made it all up, okay? We just wanted a happy ending to the story, all right? But they died for the story of the resurrection. How about written testimony of people that were there? Matthew was a tax collector. He had a lucrative job. He left that to follow Jesus. After Jesus dies and is resurrected, Matthew doesn't go back to his job. Instead, he writes down the resurrection story. Mark was a young man. A teenager, he followed Jesus from afar. Some people, some scholars think that maybe the upper room was John Mark's house. Mark saw Jesus, heard him, uh, wrote down what he saw, wrote down the testimony about the resurrection. Luke was a scholar. He was a physician. He wrote the book of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. He begins his books by saying, I researched this. I talked to people. I compiled what I learned. I talked to people who were there, and this is the testimony that they gave me. And he wrote down the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a real historical event. John was the guy that stood at the cross of Jesus. Jesus looks at him and says, take care of my mother. John was the first man to get to the empty tomb. He stooped down, looked in, saw it empty. He recorded the events as Jesus rose from the dead. Peter, the guy who denied Jesus during the trial, uh, Peter, 60 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's preaching there in Jerusalem, and it's it's a day we call the day of Pentecost, and he basically tells the crowd, hey, you guys were there, you saw what happened, you killed him, he rose from the dead, and the crowd, as they listen to Peter preach, they're like, yeah, you're right, and 3,000 of them became believers in Jesus that day after Peter's sermon, right in the very city where all this took place. James, anybody know James' claim to fame? He, anybody know what his, his fame is? Y'all are scholars, right? Okay, he's the half-brother of our Lord. He, he was one of Mary and Joseph's kids. Well, James was an unbeliever when Jesus was doing his ministry. The scriptures say that after Jesus rose from the dead, that he appeared to James, and, and James became a radical follower of Jesus Christ. He became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He wrote the book of James. His life was completely transformed after seeing Jesus alive. The Apostle Paul, his mission in life was to eradicate Christianity. He went around arresting Christians, persecuting them. He sees Jesus, the risen Lord, on the road to Damascus, and everything about his life transforms radically. He goes from trying to eradicate Christianity to being the greatest missionary of the early church. These men lived their life. They wrote down what they saw. They were there with Christ, and their testimony is Jesus rose from the dead. A fifth reason, Jesus himself predicted it. In Luke chapter 9, And verse 22, long before the soldiers were coming to arrest him, Jesus says, the Son of Man, talking about himself, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and raised the third day. 
Essentially, Jesus said this. This is how I'm going to prove to you that I'm the Son of God. I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be killed, and then I'll rise again. And when you see me rise again, it's supposed to be a sign that says, Son of God. (laughs) You'll know that I'm the Son of God. Now, if I'm trying to choose from the buffet of world religions, where should I go, which path should I follow, I think I'm going to go with the guy that rose from the dead. That just kind of makes sense to me. And Jesus says, this is how you'll know that I'm the Son of God. They're going to kill me, and I'll rise again. Here's the bottom line. Here's what the Bible says about the resurrection. In chapter 15, backing up to the beginning of that chapter, verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. In other words, I want to make this crystal clear. You received it, and you have taken your stand on it, and you are also saved by it. So the gospel message You receive it, you take your stand, you build your life on it. It is what saves you in the end. If you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believed for no purpose, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received. This is what he passed on to us. This is what is most important, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. So Paul says, according to the prophets, according to the Scriptures, they all predicted this, that Christ would come, He would be our substitute, He would die for our sins, that He would rise again, He was buried, and that He would rise again on the third day. The Scriptures present the resurrection not just as a happy ending, they present it as the foundation of our faith. Now, here's what this means for those of us that are here today that are Christians. You consider yourself a Christian. You're a follower of Christ. You believe in Jesus. You believe in the cross and the resurrection. It means that you can take your stand on it. You can build your life on it. The resurrection in Jesus Christ is something that you can build your marriage on. In fact, your marriage is a symbol of how Christ loves the church. It means that you can raise your children in the faith and you can teach them about Jesus and you can answer their questions and those questions that they have, you you can be honest and you can tell them this is what the Bible says and this is what we believe and you don't have to worry that you're teaching them something that is untrue. It means that those prayers that you offer up, It means the worship that you sing forth to God. It means the monies that you give, the hours that you spend growing and serving. It means that none of that is empty. None of it is in vain because your faith, your foundation, your worldview is built on something that is real that will sustain you today and sustain you for all eternity. And your hope, and this is huge, your hope that one day, you'll see mom again. Your hope that one day you'll see your grandmother that died when she was 22 years old that you never met. You'll see your friend Jeff that died at age 53 of a heart attack a few months ago. Your hope that you you will see those people again 
one day. That hope is verified because the resurrection teaches us that there is life beyond that which we can see in real time. That trying to just squeeze out a few happy moments through a miserable life and then you die and that's it. That that's not the goal of life. That there really is a God who loves us so much that he sent his son and his son did for us what we could never do for ourselves and his son conquered death. The scriptures teach that because the resurrection is true, our faith as Christians is not in vain. You can take your stand on it. You can build your home on that. What the resurrection means for those of us who are not Christians is that God loves you. In fact, the scriptures say, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Scriptures teach us that God proved his love in this way, that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. And if you're not a believer, the news for you today is that Jesus lived the life that you could never live. All of us sin. We all fall short of God. None of us certainly claim to be God. And he died on the cross for your sins and mine. And here's what the Bible teaches. It teaches that to become a Christian, we place our faith. We believe in Christ. It's not about going to church. It's not about having good karma. It's not about trying to better yourself and do better in life and listen to your wife more and be a better dad and all those. Those are all good things. Come to church, be a good husband, all those things. But that's not how you become a Christian. The, the scriptures teach you become a Christian by believing in Christ. And whenever we believe in Christ, the Bible says that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So life has meaning today and life has meaning for all eternity. It's Easter Sunday, 2014. Some of you uh, have come here today and as you look at your life, God's been trying to get it your attention lately. He's been doing things in your life and you're like, yeah, he's trying to he's trying to tell me something. He's put his tool belt on, he's gone to work in your life and you've been wrestling with all this. You've been wrestling with how you're supposed to live your life. Who is Jesus? What should I do? Am I a Christian? And maybe you're even on the edge. Maybe you're up to that point where you're like, uh, I've been wrestling with it. God's been working in my life. I know that God is real. I know he's been showing me things, but I haven't yet believed. Well, here's your opportunity. Are you ready? You ready to believe in Christ as your Lord? As your Savior? Would you bow your heads with me, please, as we have an attitude of prayer? I'm not going to embarrass you today. I'm not going to call you out or anything like that. I want to invite everybody to bow your head. But you say, Lash, I, I'm ready to believe today. I, I need to take this step in my life. Would you just look at me right now? Just look up at me and let, let's make eye contact. I, I'm ready to believe. I need to take this step in my life. Just look at me right now at this point. that's where you are and you're serious about that there's not a magical formula that you say or anything like that but I want to invite you just to pray and talk to your God right now and you might say something to him like this dear heavenly father I know that I'm a sinner and I admit my sin and I ask for your forgiveness and today I place my faith in Jesus Christ 
as my Lord, as my Savior. I'm putting my faith in Him. And I pray, Lord, for Your forgiveness and for Your grace. And I pray that You will give me the strength to live my life following Him. Help my life to make a difference. And Lord, help me to take my stand on Jesus Christ. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. If that's you today, if if today was the day that you took that step, I rejoice with you. I, I would love to know about it. I'll be here at the front during this next hymn, and you can come and just tell me, hey, Pastor, I, I got saved today. I became a believer. Maybe I'm scary to you, and the idea of coming forward is scary to you. Find somebody you know in your life that goes to church here, somebody that you know that walks with God, and say, when he prayed, I prayed. I became a believer today. Help me. We want to encourage you. We want to help you. Church, let's stand together. Our heads are still bowed. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And after I finish praying, we're going to sing forth this song of worship. And I encourage you to sing from the depths of your heart. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. And we thank you, Lord, that our faith is not in vain. We thank you, Lord, that we live our lives with faith, hope, and love. That life has meaning today. And life has meaning for all eternity. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to go and be like Christ. May our homes reflect Christ. May our homes be filled with your love. May our community know that we love them. May the world around us be transformed by the story of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to be men and women of God. Help us, Lord, to live our lives with a living water flowing within that draws people to your cross. We rejoice in you and we rejoice in the resurrection today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and sing. Amen.